0: Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump into today's conversation. My guest today is Julie Ford. Julie and I met through a wonderful organization we both worked for, Aduce Partners, where Julie is the operations manager. Prior to her work with Aduce, Julie worked for McKinsey & Company for almost six years. Originally from the US, Julie and her family have lived in Munich, Germany for almost a decade. In our conversation, she shares the journey of how she got there. My conversation with Julie is deeply special for a number of reasons. The one I will take a moment to highlight here is that Julie shared with me that she committed to being a guest and sharing pieces of her journey after hearing many other guests share their stories. This is indeed my sincere hope for those listening to stories of others, that they would feel a spark of courage and a desire to tell stories that may not have otherwise been shared. So it is just an incredible honor to share Julie's story with you here today. Julie, thank you for your courage and vulnerability into stepping up to share these pieces of your journey. It is, it is beyond special to have this conversation with you and to be able to share it on the podcast. And I look forward to future conversations as well. Julie, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I'm very happy to be here with you. This feels
0: very special, Julie, and I was just saying that before we hit record. I think it was, so this is while we're recording, is the end of December 2023, and it seems like it was, was it May of this year that we got to sit down in person together in Munich and yeah, first think really so. talk about possibly you being on the podcast, and I really love I don't know. There's something special about the feeling when it, it's it's a conversation that has been anticipated for quite some time. And here we are. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I'm really happy to be here with you. Julie, you have told me
0: that you are an avid listener to the podcast as well, which always like just makes my heart feel very warm and full. I appreciate that so much. So, you know, the first question that I ask is going to be around this topic of making life less difficult. This podcast, the work I do coming from this quote by Marianne Evans, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear when you hear that, what does it mean to you?
1: Yes. And I would like to start with thanking your other podcast guests who have bravely shared their stories. It's one of the big drivers for me being here with you today. And I'll give a little hint about what my story is going to be about. And that is how we can take care of our own selves so that we can make other people's lives less difficult.
0: Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. So what does it mean to you to make life less difficult for each other?
1: Oh, boy. Kind of like the Hippocratic Oath. First of all, do no harm. Mm and that can be very difficult for some people yeah. especially when we're talking about generational trauma things like poverty discrimination i think a lot of us are dealing with some hard things and that if we can help ourselves we're more able to make other people's lives less difficult
0: yeah there's a lot there julie and i'm going to i'm going to just invite you to jump into your story and your journey where it makes sense, and share with us these pieces of your story and your journey to making life less difficult.
1: Okay. Well, I'll just start chronologically. So I have one brother who's two years older than me. We were born outside of D.C., and when I was four, we moved to Scotland. My dad was a merchant marine, and he was a captain of oil rigs in the North Sea, we lived there until I was, I think, around seven. And when that job ended, we moved to Missouri, which is kind of random for a ship's captain. Yeah. But that's where my mom's family was from. So we moved there while my dad figured out what was next for him. And he then got a job in Hawaii. And my parents were talking about how we were going to live on a houseboat. And it was very exciting. And then all of a sudden, it changed when my parents decided to get divorced. Mm. So my dad went off to Hawaii and my brother and I were raised in Missouri, <laughs> which I kind of joke is like my, the original trauma, my first trauma <laughs> was not getting to be raised in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, how how old yeah. were you? I mean,
0: because I was like a big expectation to then all of a sudden be changed up and everything different.
1: Yeah. I think I was around nine.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Yes. And so that really was the beginning of very hard times for us. My mom deciding to leave my dad was a catastrophic injury for him. And it started a period of red hot rage that lasted for decades. And I feel like it's only just now starting to calm down a bit. So that had a really big effect on me and my brother and my mom for the rest of the time we were growing up and even into adulthood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the next step in my journey was when I was 18, I went off to college. It was part of uh, the divorce decree between my parents was that that was the last tie between them was paying for me to go to college. So I could choose from a university in Missouri or in Texas where I had residency and I chose to go to Texas because I was not happy at all in Missouri. I, that's where my dad lived. He lives in Houston. Um, I didn't go to him. I went not super far away, but to Texas A&M. And I was studying architecture. And I did not thrive there because of the way I had been raised, basically, to not trust myself, to have my sense of self ripped away from me. I was not set up for success. Mm -hmm. at all and also some considerations about being in the middle between the two of them the final piece of this contentious agreement Mm -hmm. between them it was very very unhealthy Mm -hmm. and eventually after two years my mom's sister my aunt susan who lived in sacramento california said just leave come here come to me we'll figure it out and that was really scary because as an American. I lost my health insurance. I was emancipated from my parents. I would never have their help with paying for college again. My dad would be really, really pissed off. Um, my stepmom also had flight privileges. She worked for a major airline, so I lost those as well. So it was really throwing a lot out the window, but I had to do it. And I'm so glad I did. And it's kind of funny, like making huge changes like that is. There's been a couple of instances of that in my life, and it's always been the very best thing I could ever do for myself. Wow! So yeah, I dropped out. I didn't even wait till the end of the semester, and I ran away to California. Wow! And I lived with my aunt Susan and her husband, my uncle. He happens to be German, actually. He came over to the United States to work for my grandpa. My grandpa, my mom's dad. He was an electrical engineer, and he founded a company designing and building ultrasound machines to look at brains. And he hired my uncle to come over. He met my aunt, the two of them fell in love. And I moved in with them in Sacramento. And I got there. I met her neighbor who was the managing partner for a law firm. And I started working for that law firm and I did for 10 years. Um, It started out just part-time though. And so then I also got a part-time job at my aunt's favorite cafe. And that's where I met my husband. I was a waitress and he was a cook there. That is awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So my aunt, this is kind of funny. She was not a reckless woman, but she was a realist and very funny. And she, after I was dating my husband for just, I don't even know Lisa. I I don't, don't even think it was three months. Honestly, I was like over at his house all the time. And she said, okay, I want my guest room back, so go move in with Andy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. I She could see that he was like this fantastic person. I knew he was too. And it was true. I was over there all the time. So, like, I hardly had anything. I had clothes and I had a desktop computer and that was it. And I just drove it over to his apartment and moved in with him after knowing him less than three months. Wow.
0: That was super brave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. That's nice of you to frame it that way. Like, I think if it worked out any different, it could definitely be framed as stupid, but luckily everything worked out. (laughs) Brave works.
0: (laughs) It could be termed as brave either way. I mean, even if it didn't work out right, like you don't know in those moments and and what do you do? Like your aunt is like, okay, it's time. Go ahead. I mean, Yeah. I mean, you, you do what you can do in those moments. So it's so beautiful and great that it worked out. But even if it didn't, I think you could still say that was brave, Julie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I got there and I started looking for my own apartment. And then I discovered that he was sad. He was hurt. Because I was looking for a place just for myself. Aww. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was surprised by that. I was like, oh, okay. So we started looking for a place together. And we found one. We found a nice little townhouse in downtown Sacramento. Um yeah, and we got married a year and a half later when I was 21. Wow. And in about two weeks, we're going to be married 21 years. Half wow. my life. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we had a very nice time building our lives there in Sacramento. We lived in an apartment. I guess it was maybe two years or so, but he had actually bought a house when he was 19. And that really was the foundation of everything good that ever happened to us after that, Mm -hmm. truly. Because ever since then, we've had this nest egg that we knew we could do really brave and crazy stuff and save ourselves no matter what. Yeah, Mm so I really have his parents to thank for doing that thing, which also was very brave. And if it worked out differently, it could have been, I don't know, it's just a brave thing to do that they encouraged him to do that and truly was one of
0: the best things that ever happened for us. That that is so cool to hear Julie and I I don't want to take us in a different direction. I will just say this really quick. I do a lot of work with real estate and real estate investing and I'm like, "Oh, I should have you come on my real estate podcast to talk about <laughs> because it is so amazing right what that that foundational investment and just building yes. some security. That's so
1: cool to hear." Yeah. And it was a lot of fun too. It was, I don't know if we would call it a bungalow, but it was just a really cute little house on 36th Street in Sacramento. It was called Storybook Style. It had this big sloping roof above the door, like a little gingerbread or something. It was so cute. Yes. Yeah. And we painted every wall and the ceiling and ripped out carpet and just did everything ourselves and just nested and made it our home. We painted a mural on the detached garage. <laughs> really nice. wild year mur- old mur- mur- and if you look on Google Maps it's still there actually
0: that's um, awesome yeah
1: we we had a big garden and we just really landscaped the heck out of it and just had a lot of fun yeah that's and awesome it was really nice to be with my aunt and uncle too and my aunt had so many girlfriends and they were all like right around 21 years older than me um, and just welcomed me into their group and I might share a little bit more about my aunt Susan because she was just such an interesting and cool person. But she worked for Gore of Gore-Tex, but they had a medical supply unit. And she, from what I understand, again, I was really young when I was hearing about all this stuff, but from what I understand, she was part of selling artificial arteries to doctors, and she was the top saleswoman for them. And she wanted to have kids, and my uncle did not. And the way that they reconciled that was she said, whatever time, love, and money I would have put into a child, I'm going to put it into me. And he agreed. So she quit her job and just really worked on like developing herself and having fun and being generous to others and doing really cool things like renting an apartment in Paris for two months while she worked on a photography book, visiting Iran by herself. Wow. She was a really, really amazing person.
0: Yeah.
1: On Christmas Eve of 2008, we got very bad news that she had leukemia. Mm. And she had to go immediately into the hospital to start chemo. And one of her amazing girlfriends, Joyce, brought Christmas dinner over. She brought over a turkey that she had roasted and mashed potatoes and everything. And we had a feast that very night in the hospital. That was such a crazy time. And my uncle and I really bonded over just taking turns being with Susan. You know, we didn't really want her to be alone. So, like, we would even spend the night in the hospital a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, she did not make it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Six months later, she passed away. I actually was not there. Mm. She had been in the hospital the whole time, and I didn't know that it was going to go south. She was really not well, but I didn't know that it was imminent. So randomly, I was on a work trip in Cabo San Lucas, which is such a small place with not a whole bunch of flights coming in and out. Luckily, it was the last day of this business trip where I didn't have any more obligations. And my husband called me and he said, Susan was dying today. Mm. oh. And it was just so hard to process that. But luckily I had a coworker with me who was such a wonderful, kind person. Mm. God bless her. She laid there with me and we were both crying because she knew my aunt. My aunt would go to all of the parties and everything. And I would have parties and invite everybody over. So everybody knew her. Yeah. And then eventually I just got in the bathtub in my room and had like all the lights off and just communed with Susan. Mm. I was, so glad to be able to do that. Since there was no no flights that day, there was absolutely no way I could get there in time, which was a real blessing because I didn't have to spin my wheels being distracted by all the logistics and get there. I knew I couldn't. Wow. So I could just be present and be with her. Hmm. Yes.
0: Thank you for sharing that. There's so much emotion that I feel. Just hearing hearing that and I mean the the courage and bravery comes up again for me, Julie, of recognizing there's no way to get there and so how can I be present? How can I just be and honor my aunt like that's it's really a beautiful thing that you're able to do in that space,
1: yeah. Yes, I'm so grateful. She had lots of people around her that loved her. Mm. So she had what she needed, and I had what I needed, too. Wow. Mm. But she she prepared. She, unlike the rest of us, knew that it might not go the way we wanted, so she, she did prepare, and she had a message that she wanted to share with everyone, which is, live big, love better.
0: Wow.
1: And that's mm. so her. And I've tried to live that in my life. Live big, love better. Yeah.
0: That is beautiful.
1: That's what she wanted for us. Mm. Yeah. So that was something else that made me really brave. Sometimes Mm. when you come up with the hard things in your life that are scary, if you've already been through something where the worst case scenario happened and you came out the other end and the clouds started to part and things were actually okay it can make you really brave
0: yeah yeah very well said I've experienced that in my life too where it's I've had that those thoughts and that feeling of okay well I've already lost the most important thing so and I'm still here still going so why not
1: Yeah. Yeah, so after that point, my husband Andy and I—we had never really thought we wanted kids, and we had to get, been together for maybe like eight years by then. Um, but when that happened, it just really rocked my world, mm-hmm. and I realized family is really important. And I decided that maybe we should consider having a kid, mm-hmm. and Andy agreed. So we had our daughter, Genevieve. She's an only child. She's just about to turn 13. Uh And yeah. Whenever she was three years old, I had started to feel like the life that we were in kind of happened by circumstance. Like I didn't really build any of it with purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I had run away from Missouri to Texas. I would run away from Texas to California. Um, and I was in Sacramento because of where my aunt was. By then, my husband and I were living in the suburbs in a big, nice house filled with all kinds of stuff. But we didn't have anyone really around us because we were in the suburbs. My My aunt was gone. My in-laws had moved away about an hour and a half away. And I had this little child, and I just felt really lonely. And, like, I I hadn't really built this life with purpose. So my husband, Andy, and I decided to do something really, really wild, which was to consider selling everything and moving to Europe for fun. Wow. (laughs) Just to start over. So he had never lived more than 10 miles from the hospital in which he was born in Sacramento. But he... Yeah, he was ready for an adventure. And, you know, I just always liked the idea of living in Europe. I didn't know where exactly, but, you know, it just sounded like a really cool thing to do. And so we decided to start gently exploring it. And he's a web developer. So he was looking on job boards and quickly found a couple of places that wanted to interview him. And then he got a contract for a company in Munich, which was our top choice. People ask why. I can't really say why. We didn't want to go to the UK. We wanted more of a challenge. We wanted, you know, I don't think we would be satisfied if we showed up someplace that wasn't very different from where we left.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We had already experienced that moving from the city to the suburbs. That wasn't fulfilling. So we decided to go somewhere more foreign, but not too scary, not too different. Um, We both spoke Spanish. I really, to this day, I don't know why we didn't move to Spain. (laughs) You needed more of a challenge to add German yes. to your uh,
0: language list.
1: Yeah. Yes. I've been here before. Actually, Aunt Susan and Uncle Reiner took me when I was 15 to Europe. And this was one of the places we stayed. So I knew it was beautiful. Oh, cool. Near the Alps. Clean. Lots of jobs. Stable. So it seemed like a good bet. Ah. Yeah. So he got that contract and signing it was the scariest thing we've ever done. It was like holding hands and looking at each other and deciding to jump off a cliff. It really was. It was so scary. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, people do vow renewals, but that's like really recommitting to your marriage, (laughs) moving to, you know, a different continent together. Yeah. You really got to commit to each other and be sure you're going to be in this for the long haul. And I have to ask,
0: if I may, Julie, I'm what I'm what's like sort of standing out to me is you you had your daughter you're feeling lonely you're feeling and then you choose to live do you choose to move to a different country where like the potential <laughs> of feeling even more alone and isolated is a strong possibility
1: yes yeah that's true but then think about my family of origin you know it wasn't really welcoming yeah People to stay ask me like, "Don't you miss it? Like, don't you ever miss home?" I'm like, "I don't have a home. My mom doesn't live in Missouri anymore. Texas has never been home. I don't have any blood relatives in California anymore. I just really don't know where I would go. I don't think I would go to any of those places. So I can't really be homesick for something that doesn't exist anymore."
0: Oh, that makes sense.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. yeah so in the course of like eight weeks, Andy and I got Genevieve a passport, quit our jobs that we actually liked, Mm. sold everything in our house, sold our house, sold two cars, and moved to Europe. And this wasn't like, you know, a high-profile job that helped us at all with the move. It was all on us, the visa, everything. And we didn't ship anything at all. We only moved by plane.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yes, I can't. To this day, I can't believe we did that. That was such a crazy thing to do. <laughs> I'm so glad we did. I mean,
0: it sounds so. I mean, I'm. I wrote down what your aunt said: "Live big, love better." And I'm like, okay, that is like stepping into that and living big. I love that. Yeah,
1: yeah. We had we had the opportunity, and I knew if we didn't do it that I would regret it forever. Hmm. Mm. And going back to that nest egg, we sold the house. We had the house money waiting for us. Nice. Yeah. Our initial goal was we wanted to make it work for three years to be considered a success. Okay. And now we're just about to hit nine years. Wow.
0: Three times that initial
1: success marker. That is awesome. Yeah. So at this point, I'm thinking that it probably sounds natural to talk about what life as an expat is and about my career, but I was thinking that to fit with the theme of the podcast, um, maybe I would make a braver choice and talk about how I, once I got here, I then started to deal with my childhood.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a question that I find floating in the back of my mind as I listen to your story. It does seem that these things from earlier in our life can start to come back in as we're adults. And so I'm curious of where this
1: began to show up in your life. Yeah, it wasn't invited. (laughs) It wasn't intentional, but it did start to rear an ugly head. Hmm. It kind of seemed like my psyche needed that physical space in order to process everything. Oh. Mm. Yeah, and I I started having like flashbacks, mm. reliving stuff that had happened to me in my childhood, mm. like a lot, like a distracting amount where I would say that really I was not present in my life to a oh. big degree. Mm. And it was really frustrating because it was all stuff that I knew, you know, I was like mad at my brain. It's like, yes, I know that happened. Leave me alone. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'm a very logical person, and I just really tried to like logic my way out of it. Um, But somehow, I'm trying to think of the chronology of how the very first thing I did to get help. I'm guessing it probably was Tara Brock's podcast, Mm. Mindfulness. Like I tried to first ground myself in the present moment. Which was a really good first guess because I was not, Mm. and I knew that that was a healthy way to be. So that was a really good first guess, and I think I might have heard about the book *The Body Keeps the Score* from her. I'm guessing that's where I heard about it, and so I read that, and I don't think it was really the best first book for me, but it did put me on the right path, Mm. which was reading all these horrible stories about what happened to people and how it was manifesting in their later adult life and realizing like, you know what? This is like really obvious and natural that I'm suffering in this way. Mm. This is just the way that brains process crap like this. Mm. So like realizing that like, I'm okay. This is actually really normal and natural. And there are ways to help yourself was super helpful. Yeah, And thank goodness I realized that I needed the help of a professional. So somehow I found myself a wonderful therapist here in Munich, such a wonderful lady. And I went through talk therapy with her for about two and a half years. And that really, really helped a lot. Mm. just process stuff. And I don't want to talk for everyone, but for my own experience, I I don't think it's really possible to process stuff. Big stuff on your own, mm. and I really don't think it's possible. To process stuff with the people that hurt you. Mm. Don't think it's safe to put your progress and your healing in the hands of the person that hurt you. Yeah. So I did try a little bit to talk with my dad and my mom about some things that happened, and I just realized it hurts them, mm. and they're not going to be able to put aside what their own experience was at the time. And I, yeah, I just realized that trying to process it with them wasn't going to be helpful, even though they, they wish me well. And I I know they've benefited from the work I've done as a professional.
0: It's really insightful and wise and also courageous of you, Julie. And I, I think it's, I resonate personally with needing to do my own work and not rely on the people that have been involved and have caused me pain being there and being able to process it with me. And also, I sometimes really des- desired that, right? And so, it's it's it, it's wonderful. And I have some people who are able to talk with their parents and really process things. And their parents are able to hold a space for that. Or, you know, whichever loved ones they're talking to. I have, I've had more of, sounds like along the lines with you where, you know, my parents or in the case of my first husband, Eric, he passed away. So he's not even present to, to be able to process through. So that having to work independently is, is something I, I feel and, and, and recognize the challenge there, but also the wisdom and what you're sharing. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So one other thing I looked into was my relationship with alcohol. Mm. I didn't feel like I necessarily had a problem. However, when I was still in therapy, I was learning tools that were healthy to help myself. And I thought, you know, I do love a drink (laughs) in the (laughs) evening. I like the little frontal lobe shift. Mm. I'm just curious is that a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to explore that. And if it was one of the tools in my toolkit, I didn't want it to be. Mm -hmm. I felt like I owed it to myself to, you know, rely on healthy things to help myself. So I started getting like sober curious and started listening to podcasts and read the book or actually the audio book. I recommend the audio book quit like a woman really interesting and it's good for men too it does talk about you know how marketing targets women and things like that but it's good for everybody i recommend the audiobook because she's angry and you can hear it (laughs) so if you're thinking about quitting you know get angry with her nice uh yeah and a podcast called keep coming back which is it's interesting it's uh people who are in AA. So it's got a really strong AA slant to it, but it's super interesting to hear about, you know, that world and all of the things that people went through before they came to a point of quitting drinking and, you know, mm-hmm. made me realize like, wow, I'm glad I don't need to deal with that stuff. You know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe I can take a step away from this while I'm actually like really normal with my drinking, but just mm-hmm. deciding that I don't want it to be a part of my toolkit. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm actually going to be two years sober in just a couple of days. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. My husband too. He's doing it along with me.
0: Wow. I, I just I want to take a moment to comment again, Julie, just on the thoughtfulness of you looking and saying, okay, this is a tool that I'm using. And I don't want that to be one of my tools. It's just a it's a very thoughtful approach to to making a choice to say, I'm going to remove alcohol from my my toolbox.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I don't have any regrets about it. I don't I'm really glad it's not part of my life now.
0: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so some other things that have been helpful for me, healthy tools or meditation, like I said, I really recommend Tara Brock. Mm-hmm. Journaling is super helpful, especially in the moments of like hyper arousal. Other things I really enjoy are gardening, mm-hmm. and I really love fiber arts, knitting, and sewing. And I always have some go-to projects that are ready to go. And so you if I'm ever in a moment. Mm-hmm.
0: You are amazing. I have gotten to witness and be recipient of some of your fiber arts which I love that term and incredibly talented
1: thank you thank you very much yes listeners when Lisa and I saw each other last spring I had with me a bag that I had just finished sewing like the day before and she admired it so we traded bags that was really fun <laughs> I cherish that memory I
0: use I use the bag from you just about every day since then oh, like yay. yeah It has traveled around the world with me. It is like literally yesterday went with me when I went to my sister's and yeah.
1: how cool. I love that. Oh, and then the final piece I can't forget is EMDR therapy, Mm -hmm. which was on my radar. um, But you and Russ helped me to get over the hump and finally make an appointment.
0: So will you say a little bit more about that? Because somebody might be listening and not know even what EMDR is and just, yeah, just a little bit more about this piece of your journey.
1: Yes. Yes. I've got the book right here, Getting Past Your Past, Take Control of Your Life with Self-Help Techniques from EMDR Therapy by Francine Shapiro. I heard you and Russ talking about that. So EMDR is eye movement reprocessing desensitization. I think. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Somehow, when we do bilateral movements, either with tapping on, let's say, our left shoulder, right shoulder, left shoulder, right shoulder, or we move our eyes left to right, in a moment where we are triggered or entranced, or however you want to frame that, a moment of hyper arousal, somehow it allows our brain to move upsetting memories from the front which is where present moment dangers are stored, through the back. It processes us. It takes what we need to learn from the situation and stores it away. So it's not so easily accessed by our limbic system, triggering us. Yeah. So therapy really, really helped, but I was still... I'm not sure if I like the word trigger. I'm fine with it. I think triggering is actually like a really good word for it, but I'm not sure if it's been kind of changed the meaning of it in like popular culture, but I'll use it anyway. I I could be triggered like pretty often where I would feel like I was on a roller coaster and I dropped down like that jump in your stomach, that would happen. And I thank my body for that, for being like such a good partner with me to let me know when something has happened that I'm not comfortable with. Hmm. So in such a moment, that's what you would try to bring up in EMDR therapy. And work with the therapist, process the memories. And from what I understand of what you said, correct me if I'm wrong, but in your experience, you really didn't even do too much speaking with your therapist. Is that right? Like your thoughts and the things you moved through were kind of for you and they guided you?
0: Yeah, she would ask me for, I mean, I'd share bits and pieces but it wasn't i mean it wasn't the same experience of really talking through everything that was coming up it was you know she would check in what's coming up for me and i would say a little bit and then we'd go back into the the eye movements and and some of the reprocessing really i did internally right with her present and and there and i could touch base but yeah it's quite a different experience from a traditional talk therapy experience yeah
1: Yeah. and I think the order that I went in with the talk therapy and then later the EMDR therapy I think that was really right for me because EMDR kind of yeah it kind of came and did like the nice polishing final well probably not final unfortunately but (laughs) later (laughs) stage finishes on everything and I I have a lot more peace ever since I did that
0: Mm. Which is i
1: appreciate
0: I, I appreciate you sharing that so much Julie and you know when i when I experienced emdr myself i I was resistant to it a little bit at first it was suggested by um a well-respected family member my father-in-law who had experienced it and I was kind of like I've done so much therapy already really like you can't I be done with this work and then as i thought more about it i was like yeah i want to i want to dig in i want to see what else there is here and it has really been transformational in my life and i wanted to share that in a way that would inspire other people and yet it's it's also one of those experiences that's hard to tell about in a nutshell and some people are skeptical because it's like what do you mean moving your eyes or you know tapping like what is, what is that right yeah and so when I I had talked with Russ and then he, was, he also engaged with an EMDR therapist to pre- reprocess some things in his own life. And then I was like, are you willing to talk about this on the podcast? Because I just, I really wanted it to be something that people could hear the story of and maybe say, oh, okay, that could be something beneficial in my journey. And so it is, it's really so amazing for me to, I mean, you shared with this with me before that you you did EMDR yourself because of hearing us share, and then to get to talk about it here, and it, ugh, I kind of just get lost for words because it's it really hits at the heart of why I want to do this podcast and share these stories and invite others to share their stories. So hopefully, somebody else hears, and you know, it's it's not a magic wand; it doesn't fix any everything. But wow, it can make life less difficult.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. It's a big reason why I'm such an avid listener and it's why I'm sharing the more vulnerable side of my story today rather than going off without my career or something. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. I totally get what you mean too about (laughs) it sounds like really strange and that's why I made sure to like read out the full name of the book so people can look at it and see that there are so many studies proving that this really does work. Yeah and I
0: I read the book I think after yeah after going through the experience of EMDR and one of the things I appreciated so much is that she just she spells out the process and she says you can you know if it's not a really significant Traumatic memory. You can work through this yourself at home, and and you know she says if it's if it's deeply you know emotional and things like please find a professional to work with and support you. But I so appreciated that it's not some mystical thing of you. Oh, you have to go here and do this. And I loved that about her book. Is she's not she's it's it's not mystical. It's not yeah, it it's no, here's the process. And, and, and after working with my therapist, I have reprocessed some memories at home going through like walking myself through the process and having read the book. And it's like, oh, wow, this is a tool speaking of tools that I can actually use in my life. And that, that was also really impactful to me. That's really cool. So, Julie, if I may ask, and you can share whatever you want to, or, or you know, um, I'm just curious at this point in your life. How is it? I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase the the question, and it may not come out super clear. But I'm curious about like your connection with um, your family of origin, and like just where you are in in that journey. Um, for yourself
1: well I'll start with my mom the easiest answer my mom's doing really well I mean I can't imagine how hard it would be to try to go through a divorce and (laughs) co-parent with a narcissist so I think that's like one of the hardest things a person can go through really Mm. so um, the ways in which things didn't go as you know we would have liked between her and I when I was growing up I've been able to process all that and we have a really, very nice relationship now that I really appreciate. Hmm. And my dad, I have a major case of growth mindset when it comes to him because I just cannot ever understand why things can't be better. Hmm. I am absolutely willing to just start fresh every single day. I would love that. I'm a person that I really can't hold a grudge. Hmm. Yeah, I I would love things to just be perfect today. I would go for it. I would jump at it. Um, I would say he has grown a lot, basically since COVID. I think that really scared him, and he hmm. realized that any one of us could die at any moment. Uh-huh. And I think that somehow, finally, after more than 30 years, that really put a damper on that rage. Hmm still has some habits of trying to transactionalize our relationship in a way that I just can't play along anymore. I'm still asked to play some games and I'm just mature enough and has done enough work to see it so clearly. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm not trying to put at the boundary or protect myself, I just do it naturally. It's like, I'm, I can't play that game. Like I just can't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm still being challenged in a way that is much, I think, more gentle, but not as pronounced as the ways that I was when I was younger, but I still am being challenged in that way, unfortunately. So we'll see. We're still a work in progress.
0: Hmm.
1: My brother, my brother is a part of the story that we haven't even gotten to yet, but he unfortunately is not doing well at all.
0: Mm, Sorry to hear
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. He, when we were growing up, he didn't get the help he needed because everybody was, my mom was too worried about surviving. Mm. And my dad was too worried about the things that he was too worried about. Um, So my brother really didn't get the support he needed. And it snowballed into him being, very unwell now. Wow. He moved to Sacramento when I was let's see, he was in Missouri and this is another big learning. This is another piece of wisdom that I have learned through hard times. And that is let people be. Mm. I always wanted more from my brother. Like he never had like a job that was good enough for him. He had so much more potential We always wanted so much more from him. And now what I wouldn't give to have him be where he was at that time. Wow. Yeah. So when I was 23 and he was 25, he moved out to California to be with me and Andy. He moved into our house and I helped him to get a job and sold him our car for really cheap and just really tried to set him up for his new life. Yeah. And then when I was about 31, he came and told me something that made it clear to me that he was in a real moment of mental health crisis. Mm. And he just has never recovered from that. Mm. And it seems clear that he never will. Wow. So he, he actually lives near my mom now and she has to take care of him. Wow. Not in a, not in a real, you know... Bodily type of way, thank God, but yeah. you know, administrative, making sure that he has a roof over his head.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: It's tough. It's really impactful what you shared of letting people be. And I know that sometimes people come from what they feel is a place of good intention, of telling somebody you have more potential, you could be doing so much more with your life. And, and yet what if what is, is absolutely perfect for this moment and to just let, yeah, people be, and, and also support them. I mean, a few people want to like, okay, we'll go on and challenge themselves in different ways. And yet could we, yeah, what, what would it look like if we just really fully accepted and embraced and supported where people were in that those moments
1: yeah yeah so that's what we're doing now is embracing and accepting him where he is now
0: thank you so much for sharing these pieces of your story and journey and thank you for being brave to share the vulnerable pieces julie
1: yeah you're welcome thank you for the interest and thank you for all that you do with your podcast and your coaching it is, I'm,
0: I, I just glanced down and I wrote down the phrase that your aunt shared, live big, love better, and I just, I just see that in you, and it's such a beautiful way that you are living and keeping your aunt's spirit alive and I imagine that you are also passing that along to your daughter and sharing and sharing your, you know, we talk about generational trauma, and I also I want to talk more about generational healing. And it's like what, what you are doing in your life and your journey is passing along healing.
1: You're right, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: Thank you so much, Julie, for this time together. I, I want to invite you back for part two and maybe beyond because I know that there's more pieces. And and I appreciate the fact that you recognize uh, at one point when you said, you know, this is like the final step. Well, maybe not the final step. Right? Like Maybe there's more. <laughs> um, I resonate deeply with that. Kind of hoping and wishing for the final step, but also recognizing, ah. There's probably going to be more. There's def- there's definitely going to be more in my situation. Um, yeah. So I would love to have another conversation with you down the road when it, when it seems like the right time.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I love speaking with you. I'll look forward to it.
0: Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult.